Good morning, everybody. Are you glad to be here? Okay, that's pretty good. All right, I'll take that. I'll take that. Um, All right, why don't we go ahead and open up with prayer. Would you stand with me, please? Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today, to worship with brothers and sisters in Christ, to um, worship you with our tithes and our offerings, with our voices as we sing. Lord, uh, we, we thank you, God, that you so take care of us, so bless us more than we can even comprehend. Lord, we ask that you would bless this service today that we would take what your word has to say to us today and we would apply it to our lives so that we can lead a life that is pleasing to you. God, uh, uh, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to go ahead and start singing here. Uh, Page 260 in the hymnal or um, up on the screen, we're going to sing, And Can It Be? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain for me who him to death pursued. out of breath? Okay, all right. All right, page 231, take the name of Jesus with you. Take the name of Jesus with you, child of sorrow and of woe. It will joy and comfort give you. Take it then where you go. Precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven, precious name, oh how sweet, 
Jesus with you as protection everywhere. If temptations round you gather, breathe that holy name in prayer. Precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven. Precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven. At the name of Jesus bowing, falling prostrate at his feet, King of kings in heaven will crown him when our journey is complete. Precious name, oh how sweet. <clears throat> Precious name, oh how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Why don't you go around and greet one another this morning? Let's get a couple announcements in here. Uh, today, immediately following the service, we're going to have a quick business meeting down here on, um, for, um, well, a quick business meeting. Um, no carrying dinner today because next Sunday is our Veterans Day and Thanksgiving dinner uh, following the worship service. Uh, November 22nd, uh, Thanksgiving service, that's a Tuesday night at, two, uh, I'm sorry, at 7 o'clock and uh, no Wednesday night service the next night. And then uh, that following Sunday, which is the 26th, I forgot to put it in the calendar, but we're taking up a, a, a love offering, if you would. Uh, instead of doing the um, Operation Christmas Child, this year we decided to help out one of our, our supported missionaries. Uh, he is working with rural teenagers in Michigan, and they do a Christmas, uh, they give kit gifts. And uh, so we're going to get up uh, some money to help support that. And uh, whether it's going to be for the gifts or one big gift uh, for, for the whole organization, we'll, we'll find out depending on how much comes. But, uh, and so that will be the last day. So you can mark that like on your offering, you know, the little offering envelope. Hey, this is for Crossroads um, Teen Ministry, uh, that, that offering there. So, or just Crossroads Offering. Just mark that and then we'll make sure that that gets to there. 
Um, and then uh, December 2nd is the Ladies' Ornament Exchange at the Paterni's house at, at noon. And if you have any questions, see Shannon. And uh, also, uh, I think in some of the bulletins, I don't know, I don't think they're in all of them, but uh, it's just this little flyer about our December 3rd. It's not in the bulletin because there's not enough room. Uh, but uh, we're going to have a make a joyful noise into the Lord uh, kind of Christmas sing. And uh, so Cheryl is, in, I'm sorry, Cheryl is in charge of it. And uh, if you want to be involved, you say, well, I can't sing. Hey, it doesn't say that thou has to have a good voice. It just says make a joyful noise. Uh, but anyway, um, see her. She'll uh, get that all ordered. And, and maybe you just want to read a passage of scripture or something. That'd be great, too. Uh, she can uh, help you out with that. But, but there's going to be some hot chocolate and cookies afterwards um, or, or a part of that whole hour and a half while we're there. Correct. Yes, okay. We're not singing for an hour and a half. Um, no, okay. No. <laughs> she said not after that last song. Um, okay. Oh, yes. Thank you, Cheryl. Cheryl. <sighs> All right. Um, let's go ahead and, and sing our last song of our service. Uh, we're gonna, it's in your bulletins. We're going to sing uh, Above All. And we'll take up our offering during this song.
before we pray for the offering, I, I, sh- I should have mentioned it and I forgot. Um, Buck got word this morning that his grandmother was rushed to the hospital, so um, we're going to uh, pray for him as well as the offering. And so, uh, Dave, would you ask God to bless the offering and also for Buck's grandma? Would you turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 20? 2 Kings chapter number 20. Glad I turned that on because the batteries just died. (laughs) All right. Um, We are in week six of our message series called uh, Beyond Prayer, A Biblical Perspective on the Power of Prayer. And uh, I previously said that uh, it was going to be like a 13-week sermon series, and I apologize. It's a nine-week, so we still got a few more weeks here. But but like I said, we're in a series on prayer based on a book that I got while I was in California at a pastor's conference called It Happens After Prayer. A lot of fantastic things in this book, and that's why I want to share with you some good insight. Last week we talked about the kinds of prayer uh, that God answers, which kind of indicates that there are some prayers that God does not answer. And uh, there are myriads of ideas and suggestions on how we can deal with uh, the mystery of unanswered prayer, but we still all struggle with it, uh, struggle with understanding it. Now, some of you might might have some emotional scars from not getting what you prayed for. I mean, we all have them. Um, you know, what you looked for was not found. The door that you knocked on was never opened. And it causes you to ask the question, well, does God really answer prayer? Well, yes, God answers prayer. Uh, in fact, answered prayer is, a tr- is really the true mystery. I mean, why would God, be so, who is so good and so wise and so faithful, why would He even answer our prayers? But often we don't, uh, we, we, we don't even know what we're asking for. We do not know the consequences of the things that we're asking for. We do not know what it will actually cost us for God to answer our prayers. Yet God knows all, He controls all, and He answers according to what will be for our good and His glory. The puzzle of why God doesn't answer certain prayers, I think, is easier to understand when uh, you think of the puzzle of why God chooses to answer any of our prayers at all. Because let's think about it. How much does God owe you? Nothing. God does not owe you a single thing except divine judgment, a holy wrath, and eternal condemnation. That's really what you deserve. Yet God commands us to come to Him in prayer, and then He waits with open arms to hear us and to answer and to work on the behalf of His children. And because of this, we should never allow unanswered prayer to cause us to question the power of God, the wisdom, or His goodness. Instead, we can live in confidence that God will hear us when we pray, and He will answer us. The problem is that we often miss or even mishandle the answer that God gives us because we're not ready to receive the things that we're asking for. Here's something that you may never thought of, but sometimes answered prayers could hurt you. And you say, where are you coming up with that? That just doesn't sound right. Well, there's a few, I'm going to give you a couple examples from God's Word, okay? Um, think of, uh, well, his name is King Hezekiah. And he asked God for something. God gave it to him. He responded with a yes, okay? Uh, one day the prophet Isaiah is visiting Hezekiah and uh, with a message from God. And Hezekiah is deathly sick. And the message is, you are going to die. Uh, look here, verse number 1. 
In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, uh, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. But Hezekiah didn't want that message. He didn't want that to be the final word. And so he turns his face to the wall, the Bible says. He prays to the Lord. And do you know what happens? God answered his prayer. God gave Hezekiah's prayer request a yes. And before Isaiah could even make it off the palace grounds, God commanded him to go back to Hezekiah with an updated message. Uh, the, uh, the Lord will raise him from his sickbed in three days and add 15 more years to his life. It is a miracle of unanswered prayer. But then, if you look at the end of the same chapter, uh, it records some uh, how this miracle feeds Hezekiah's pride. As the king displayed all his wealth to his visitors from Babylon. Look verse number 12. It says, that time, uh, Baradoc Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah was attentive to them and showed them all the, of the, ho- all the house of his treasures, the silver and gold, the spices and precious ointment, and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. So uh, uh, he he gets prideful and he's like, hey, check out everything that I got here. And so God judges Hezekiah and telling him he's going to lose his kingdom. The next chapter reports that during those 15 years, Hezekiah has a son named Manasseh and uh, uh, who is going to become the king. And they say, well, that doesn't sound bad. Well, if you continue looking on there, I think it's in verse number 2 of the uh, chapter 21, uh, uh, that uh, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And I wonder if Hezekiah ever wished that God had not answered his prayers when he saw everything that took, that took place. He's wishing that maybe Isaiah's proclamation of that fatal diagnosis would have been true. Another example about the trouble a positive answer to prayer can bring. The children of Israel, they wanted a king. Uh, You know, you can read that in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8. And reluctantly, with great disappointment, Samuel the prophet prays that God would give them a king and his prayer is answered. And the people uh, will receive what they desire. But the Lord commands Samuel to warn the people that the king is going to want their sons to go to war, make some of them into slaves, and steal their proceeds from all their hard work. And when that happens, the prophet says this in verse 18. He says, And you will cry out in that day because your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, and and, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. And they said, no, we want a king over us. So God gave Israel exactly what they wanted. And the rest is history. It was, let's be honest, it was the downfall of the nation of Israel. Because they wanted to be like everybody else. One more example. Uh, From the New Testament. One day the mother of James and John comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, I want my sons to sit in places of honor. One at your right hand, one at your left hand. And, uh, you know, it's really a statement of faith, really. Because this, this mother believed that Jesus was the Messiah, that his, his kingdom was coming. But her request is kind of tainted with a little bit of uh, uh, ambition, sinful ambition. Uh, Jesus uh, responds to that in Matthew 20, verse 22. Uh, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? I think that God often responds to our prayers the same way He did to James and John's mom. You really don't know what you're asking. There's an outline that some uh, used to use that describes how God typically answers prayers. If the request is wrong, God says no. If the timing is wrong, God says slow. If if you are wrong, God says grow. But if the request is right, the timing is right, and you are right, God says go. 
what we do more often than not is to focus on only the times that God says no. And we ignore all the other times that God says you need to grow up a little bit. You know, you're not ready for this. And that's not smart. It is dangerous for God to put something in our hands without first doing something in our hearts to get us ready uh, for what he puts in our hands. Let me ask a very important question about uh, all of us in our prayer lives. Can you handle an answered prayer? And as I said in Sunday school, and I told them the, the, uh, uh, the title of my message, I keep thinking back to that movie. You can't handle the truth. You can't handle an answer prayer because let's be honest, most of the time we really can't. And so I raise this question of can you handle an answer prayer in light of what Nehemiah experienced after he prayed for divine intervention that he go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So flip over to Nehemiah chapter 2. That's that second passage we're going to. We started last week. We talked about Nehemiah in chapter 1, how uh, he was so sad about everything that happened there. And as we look through this, we're going to see three different marks of a person who can handle answered prayer. Three marks of a person who can handle answer who can handle answered prayers. The first one is that uh, it is a disciple, the discipline of awaiting on God. The discipline of waiting on God. As we talked about last week, Nehemiah is the cupbearer of Artaxerxes. He had a visit from his brother Hanani, his brother. Hanani told him about the condition of Jerusalem, which wasn't good. The gates were burned and the, the walls were torn down. Nehemiah 1.4 states that Nehemiah heard it and he sat down and he mourned for days. And then he proceeded to pray. And uh, I'm not going to go into all of that again because, hey, I spoke on it last week. You can go home and watch it next week. It's on Facebook still. Um, but uh, uh, he asked God for the opportunity to go to Jerusalem and rebuild the city. Now, the book of uh, um, Nehemiah, it begins in the Hebrew month Chislev. You say, when's that? And uh, my answer for you, well, that's somewhere between mid-November to mid-December. And when uh, um, God finally answers Nehemiah's prayer was not in the month of Chislev. Okay, he answers uh, uh, the prayer in the month Nisan. Now you say, what is that? Is that like after Honda before Subaru? No. Okay, uh, but Nisan is the month uh, uh, that that happens in our uh, time frame of mid March to mid April. Think about that, mid November to mid December, all the way until mid March to mid-April. Four months happens between chapter 1, where he prays to God, and chapter 2, when God answers. Look at verse number 1, Nehemiah chapter 2. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad? That's just funny. Anyway, sorry. Uh, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. In chapter 2, Nehemiah continues to fulfill his duties as the king's cupbearer. Uh, but he has not forgotten. He has not ignored the issues that, had, uh, that he had taken to God in prayer. In fact, he is still so troubled by the news he received over four months ago that he does something that was extremely uncharacteristic of him and also very unwise of him. He expresses sadness in the presence of the king. You say, well, what's the problem with that? Everybody has a bad day. Okay, well, the king may think that you're up to something, especially as the cupbearer. He may look at you and think, uh-oh, um, maybe he's gotten something. Maybe he's poisoned because, remember, that's what the cupbearer did. He tasted the food and he drank the wine before uh, um, the, the king got to it So, in, in case somebody tried to poison him. So it's like, maybe you're poisoned or maybe you are up to something that you shouldn't be up to. Maybe you're like starting a coup or something. And so uh, Nehemiah had always kept his cool, but not here at this time. For some reason, on this day, he allows his sorrow to be noticed by the king. The king, as we talked about last week, really respected Nehemiah. And he asked Nehemiah, what, what, what's going on, man? I know you're not sick. 
had someone died? What's going on? And uh, I think that it's important to notice that the king is the one that had to ask. Nehemiah had carried his burdens for four months, but he never said a word about it to Artaxerxes. He just went about his daily routine as if nothing was wrong. And I think this is one of the first marks of a person who can handle an answered prayer. It is the discipline of waiting on God's timing. Yet Nehemiah does lapse into some sadness here. Y'all know what I'm talking about when I say a bamboo tree, right? Okay, over in China, uh, the Chinese bamboo tree. Do you know how it grows? Does anybody know that? Some of y'all may, I see that, but all right, I'll I'll educate y'all. Sorry, I'm talking like I'm from down south. Uh, Let me educate you all on this. You plant the seed and you water it and you fertilize it. And in that first year, nothing happens. Say, okay, all right. So second year, the seed is watered and fertilized. Still nothing. Same thing happens in the third and the fourth years. Four solid years of watering and nurturing and and fertilizing uh, this seed. And then during the fifth year of watering and fertilizing, the Chinese bamboo tree grows roughly 90 feet in approximately six weeks. Does the, grow, does the tree grow 90 feet in six weeks or in five years? It actually takes five years for it to grow 90 feet. You may not see any growth during your first four years, but without watering and fertilizing the seed each and every year, there would never be a sudden growing in that short period of time. Each of us, I believe, has a bamboo experience in our lives. Many of us never grow into what God designed for us because we think that yes means now. We keep missing our appointment with unanswered, uh, I'm sorry, with answered prayer because we have not learned to stay in God's waiting room until He tells us to move. You see, to be in the will of God is to do the right thing the right way for the right reason at the right time. Right? Get that? To be in the will of God is to do the right thing in the right way for the right reason at the right time. So you can step outside of God's will even though your goals and plans and motives may be right. You, may, you must make sure that you do not run ahead of the Lord's plans. Do not follow the foolish advice of today's that you know, you've heard somebody say, don't just stand there, do something. You know, the heavenly advice is basically, don't just do something, stand there. Now that seems backward, doesn't it? Don't just do something, stand there. At the Red Sea, Moses said to the children of Israel in Exodus 14, 13, Do not be afraid, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord which He has accomplished for you today. Naomi advises her daughter-in-law, Ruth, Sit still, my daughter, uh, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. The Lord commands us, Be still and know that I am God. From Psalms 46, verse 10. This is exactly what Nehemiah does. When he receives the bad news about Judah, he takes his burden to the Lord. When he gives it to the Lord, he takes his hands off of it. And that's something we all need to learn. Hold your place there in Nehemiah and flip over to the book of Psalms. Um, Psalm 40 is where we're going to go. Psalm 40. Nehemiah does not march into the king's quarters uh, once he finds out what was going on and demands that he gets a leave of absence to go rebuild uh, Jerusalem. That would have gotten him killed. He does not call a meeting of like-minded individuals to share his plans with and listen to their ideas. That would have got him discouraged. He doesn't make any thoughtless, rash decisions. That would have gotten him nowhere. When Nehemiah receives the bad news about Judah, he takes his burden to the Lord and he leaves it there. Nehemiah waits on God to answer his prayer. And you know what? How many of y'all have ever lost your patience? If you have kids, I can tell you, you have. 
Yes, we've all lost our patience. And sometimes we lose our patience with God. And I think maybe a little bit, that's what happened. That's why you showed sadness that particular day. He's like, Lord, it's been four, years, four months. Come on. But Nehemiah does wait on, his, on the Lord for his answer. He waits on God to soften the king's heart. He waits on God for an opportunity for him to move. And this is what we all must do if you're going to be ready for an answered prayer. You have to wait on God to answer. Wait for God to speak. Wait on God to respond. Wait on God to move. Wait on God to keep His promises. I told you to go to Psalm 40. Look here. Verse number 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of its horrible pit out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. We're going to read those verses again, but I want you to notice all of the things that the Lord did for him simply because he waited on the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me. What does that mean? It means he listened to me. And he heard my cry. He, he also brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock. He established my ways, my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. We need to learn the discipline of waiting on God. Now that does not mean in our waiting, that we sit there like a bump on a log and do nothing? No, we, can, we continue to do what God has already displayed to us and told us in His Word. But we need to wait on the Lord. The second um, characteristic uh, of the person who is ready to have their prayers answered by God is that they have the devotion of watching for God. The fact that Nehemiah was a royal cupbearer tells us that he was an even-tempered man. He had never really shown sadness in the presence of the king. Yet this day his sorrow is shown. Unintentionally, Nehemiah's countenance, his attitude and demeanor begin, uh, began to change. And Artaxerxes noticed this. He asked, what's the matter with you? You don't look well at all. You're, I, mean, uh, I don't think you're sick. What's going on? Nehemiah, no longer sad, now he's scared. Uh, Sad-looking servants inevitably raise royal suspicions, as I talked about. Nehemiah had every right to be afraid. However, he keeps his cool long enough to, to notice that Artaxerxes' words and tones of expression, uh, tones, it expressed concern rather than anger or suspicion. Nehemiah thinks to himself, hey, this might be the opening. This might be the time that I've been praying for. This might be my opportunity, but he wasn't sure. And so very cautiously he responds in verse number 3. He says, and said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, uh, uh, when the, city the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? That's, kind of, that's really kind of smart. The king was convinced... Uh, previously that Jerusalem was filled with political troublemakers. And so he said, don't let the city be re, uh, rebuilt. Nehemiah knows this. And so wisely he, go, he does not directly mention Jerusalem, but instead he appeals to that common ancient uh, um, eastern respect for the burial place of the dead. And it works. Then look at verse number four, how the king replies. Well, okay. He says, and the king said to me, what do you request? So I pray to the God of heaven. Artaxerxes gives Nehemiah a royal blank check. And when Artaxerxes responds so favorably, Nehemiah knows it has to be from God. And so he prays. This is one of those emergency 911 prayers we were we've been talking about. And the amazing thing is that God answers this prayer. And you say, now wait a minute. Didn't you say that we ought not only go to God in our 911 prayers? Yes, 
We ought to be praying. So then why did God answer his 911 prayer? Well, God answered Nehemiah's emergency 911 prayer because Nehemiah had already been spending four months praying about it. Before the emergency, before the opportunity came. He had been praying for four months that God would give him an opportunity. And when the king does not get angry or suspicious over Nehemiah's open sorrow, his spiritual radar immediately starts to say, hey, God's moving. Pay attention here. And when he is sure it's God, Nehemiah prays. And he doesn't say, well, if it pleases the king, uh, give me a few days. I'm going to fast about it. I'm going to pray about it. And then I'll get back to you and tell you what I need. No. Uh, If he had done that, the window of opportunity probably would have closed and never opened again. So when Artaxerxes offers him a blank check, Nehemiah immediately offers a quick prayer to God. You can just imagine, God, this is it. This is it. This, this, I understand. This is, this is you. Give me wisdom so I don't mess this up. This is the second mark of the person who can handle an answered prayer. It is the devotion of watching for God's divine intervention. There was a small country town that faced a flooding of uh, one of the nearby rivers. And, and the city officials... Uh, told the citizens that they, you needed to get out. You need to evacuate. But the pastor of the local church refused to go. He says, I prayed to God for deliverance and I'm going to stay right here and wait on God to deliver me. The authorities didn't question the man of faith. And so uh, they, they left them. The water kept rising. And they went back to the church to rescue the preacher. And again, he refused to go. He says, the Lord is going to deliver me. And they said, okay. And then they left. And the next time uh, they came to him, the water was so high that he had, uh, they had come to him on a boat. And he's on the roof of the church. And they're like, Pastor, you need to come. It's not safe. And he goes, guys, I, I, I'm okay. God is going to deliver me. And he refused to go. The waters kept rising. He ended up drowning. This is not a real story. Okay, this doesn't really happen. It's just an example, okay? I say all that for this next part. That when he got to heaven, that was one ticked off preacher. He goes up to God and says, What happened, God? I had so much faith in you. I prayed and I asked you to deliver me. I stood in faith watching the world around me getting drowned. Uh, I, I didn't waver in spite of the circumstances, but why didn't you save me, God? And the Lord said, Who do you think kept sending you boats? You're not ready for an answer prayer if, while you wait on God, you're also not watching for God to do something. You can miss your answer if you're looking in one direction as God is moving in a different direction. It is a matter of focus. Nehemiah was focused on God. And because of this, uh, uh, Nehemiah didn't need a big, big miracle. He didn't need a prophetic word or a supernatural sign to know that God was at work on his behalf. He heard the voice of God in the words of the king. He saw the hand of God. He felt leading, uh, the leading of God to greater things while at work in the midst of his normal, ordinary, daily routine. If your situation is going to change, you must stop being so preoccupied with your situation. And you need to put your focus on God. You see, when, when you focus on God, then He can lead you. Stop asking God to bless what you're doing. Instead, start asking God to help you do what He's already blessing. Matthew 6.33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Psalm 32.8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. What does that all mean? You will never get what you want from God by focusing on what you want to get from God. You you understand? You must learn to focus on God in every situation. Don't focus on the need. Focus on God. Don't focus on the promotion. 
Focus on God. Don't focus on the relationship. Focus on God. Don't focus on the healing. Focus on God. Don't focus on the blessing. Focus on God. That's what we need to learn to do. The third characteristic of an individual who is ready to have God answer their prayers, not only they develop the discipline of waiting on God, they have the devotion of watching for God, but they also have the duty of working with God. As I said, you know, our prayers is not an excuse for idleness, for laziness or negligence. Prayer requires spiritual partnership with God. As one commentator states, without God, you cannot do it. And without you, God will not do it. So if you're going to be ready for an answer prayer, you must learn to wait on God, watch for God, and work with God. And there's two ways that you can work with God to answer your prayers. And the first one is to be ready for an opportunity. Be ready for the opportunity. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 11, Nehemiah prayed, Lord, give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Remember, Nehemiah was praying about the broken wall of Jerusalem. And notice how he prayed. He did not pray as we sometimes do. Lord, the walls in Jericho... Uh, I almost said the walls in Jericho. Um, the walls in Jerusalem, uh, they need rebuilding. And I know you're able, Lord, so rebuild that wall. You can do it, God. There's nothing too hard for you. And I praise you in advance that how fast and how amazing you're going to rebuild those walls, Lord. Amen. Many of us pray like that. And that may be why we're not ready for an answered prayer. You see, the problem is not that it is an untrue or insincere or a doubt-filled prayer. The problem is that it is a prayer for divine intervention rather than a prayer for personal responsibility. Do you see the difference between the two of those? I believe Nehemiah was ready for answered prayer because he did not just pray for a miracle. He prayed for an opportunity. He did not just pray for God to step in and do something miraculous. He prayed to God to open the door so that he could step through and do something. Could that possibly be why your prayers, my prayers aren't working? Are you praying for a miracle rather than an opportunity? Could it be that you've been praying for the Lord to save a friend, but you're not praying for help so you can be a faithful witness to them? Are you, uh, are you, <clears throat> have you been praying for the Lord? I, can, I did not write that sentence right. Have you been praying that the Lord would bless your children to grow the right way? But instead, what you need to be praying about is your lifestyle, your choices, and your leadership that affects their development? Could it be that you have been praying for a promotion, but you have not been praying for the Lord to help you be diligent with your present assignment so that you can prove yourself worthy of that promotion? I put this on Facebook several months ago when I was reading the book and then also on my personal account and then this week. But H.B. Uh, Charles wrote this in this book, It Happens After Prayer. He said specifically, it's paraphrase up here, but the sad fact is that too, all too often we pray for miracles rather than opportunities because we are cheap. A miracle doesn't cost you anything. You can just sit back and watch God work. But if you pray uh, for an opportunity, you have to get up and make a personal commitment and make yourself available for God to use you as a part of the answer to your own prayers. Do you see the difference in the uh, one? You're praying for God to do something miraculous, which God can. But so many times we need to be praying that, that God gives us an opportunity to step into To step up. That's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah was so willing to partner with God that he was getting ready even when, when he did not see how it was going to happen. 
When Artaxerxes says, what do you want? Nehemiah didn't respond by saying, well, I don't know. Let me just think about it for a while. Or let's just walk by faith. No, uh, he, he didn't say, well, I have to think this through or give me some time to get my ducks in a row. No, Nehemiah was ready for the opportunity. Hope, uh, go back to uh, uh, Nehemiah 2. Look at verse number 5. He says, And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Therefore I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they may permit me to pass through till I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Nehemiah had so thoroughly worked out his plan that he even knew the name of the guy who ran the king's forest. Even when it didn't seem that there was any hope that his prayer was going to be answered, that he would be able to go back and lead the people to rebuild the walls, he still got all the information he needed. And he knew how long it was going to take. Even though it didn't seem there was any hope that his prayer would be answered, Nehemiah was still getting ready for the Lord to open an opportunity. So, working with God. We work with Him by being ready for that opportunity. But folks, the second part of this, working with God, is you've got to be ready for opposition. Many commentators like to cut off at this, uh, this portion of Scripture uh, at verse 8 or verse 9, and they don't want to talk about verse 10. Uh, and, and admittedly, this verse kind of ends on an anticlimactic note. Uh, up to this point, events have been really going Nehemiah's way in chapter 2. He, he has received the king's permission to go rebuild the walls. He's received all the resources that he needs to get the job done. He's been assured that he will have a royal guard to accompany him and protect him. He was assured that he'd be able to go back to his job that he had. But things got worse. Look at verse number 9. Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Hey, everything's still good. Verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. On the surface, it seems anticlimactic to end this scene with this presence of opposition. The presence of Sanballat and Tobiah really doesn't, they, they really don't mess up that story, that passage of Scripture. Because such opposition is sometimes very essential for us. Because you're not ready for an answered prayer without facing some challenge, problem, or difficulty. Sanballat and Tobiah didn't even know Nehemiah. All they knew was that he was coming to help Jerusalem and they didn't want that to happen. Folks, that's the way the enemy works. Some people who don't even know you don't like you. Why? Just some of the things they've heard. Some of us let the slightest offense cause us to quit what God has given us to do. And we use that as an excuse. Well, I can't do this anymore. There's someone out there that doesn't like me. Can I just be honest with you? Not everyone, well, there is no one in this world that everybody likes. No one. There's always going to be somebody. There's always going to be something. So don't let that keep you from doing what God has caused you to do. Expect the opposition. Be ready for it. Like I said, some of us let that slightest offense keep us from what God has called us to do. When you walk by faith, you're going to collide with a Sanballat or a uh, Tobiah. When you decide to arise and build, the enemy decides to arise and disrupt. 
But the good news is, is that God, who is in control of the opportunity, is also in control of our adversaries. And he, God, always wins. Wouldn't you rather be on his side? Follow him. Do you, are, are, can you handle unanswered prayer? It, it, you can if you learn the discipline of waiting on God. You begin to show the devotion of watching for God, being on the lookout for Him and what He is doing in that particular thing that you're praying about. And then you've got to have the duty of working with Him. You've got to be ready for that opportunity so when it comes up, boom, you're ready to go. But also in the midst of all that, you need to be ready that there are people out there that don't want you to succeed. And that's okay. Because if we're doing it for other people, we're doing it for the wrong reasons. We need to follow the Lord because He is God. And that's what He has called us to do. Can you handle an answered prayer? I hope so. It's what God wants for us. But we have to rely on Him. We have to be patient on Him. And be looking for Him to answer the way He wants to answer. Would you stand as we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord, I thank You so much for this day. I thank You for the... I thank You for Your Word, for Your challenge. Because Lord, so often we we want You to do stuff and we want You to uh, get involved with different situations, but we don't ask for opportunities. We don't want to get involved as well. We just want you to miraculously do it. Lord, sometimes you do. But Lord, you get more glory when you use us. And we get to grow in you, grow in our walk with you. And we can share you with other people. We get to share your love and your grace and your mercy. Your plan of salvation. I pray that you would help us to, to, to look for those opportunities. Be ready for them. Thank you God for your challenge. Thank you for your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a verse of invitation, page 432. Uh, softly and tenderly, whatever your need is, I invite you to come this morning. Uh, Let's sing. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. Patient and loving, He's waiting and watching. Watching for you and for me. Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly Thank you all for being here today. Um, In just a few moments, uh, we'll have our business meeting down here. Um, So if you're a member of the church, please stick around for that. And uh, let's go ahead and close this aspect of our service in prayer. And uh, I'm going to ask Buck, would you close our service in prayer, sir?